Welcome to the Cyclone Scoop, your home for Iowa State football, basketball, and recruiting talk. Here are your hosts, 24-7 Sports' Alex Halstead and the Cedar Rapids Gazette's Dylan Montz. Welcome to the Cyclone Scoop. I'm Alex Halstead, joined by Dylan Montz, and we're here with you after Iowa State opened the 2017 season with a 42-24 victory against Northern Iowa. Dylan, uh, the start of the game kind of probably reminded people of uh, the 2016 season, but in the end, Iowa State really pulled away, controlled the second half, and uh, they start with a win a few weeks earlier than they did last year. Now they go into the Cyhawk week with uh, a little bit of positivity and things to work on, but I think overall Matt Campbell seemed pretty pleased with how they were able to clean some things up and execute at times, both on offense and defense. Yeah, you're not going to be disappointed with a 42-24 to 24 win, but there was a little bit of uncertainty, at least at the start. Um, you and I drove the ball right down on the Iowa State defense, ended up scoring a touchdown, and then the offense kind of took a little while to get going. But really, I thought it was a good team win. And, and one, I think Matt Campbell kind of alluded to also that um, when the offense was kind of slow, the defense picked it up, and obviously those two pick sixes, one by Willie Harvey, one by Kamari Cotton Moya, really kind of buoyed the, the team as a whole until the offense got going late in the first half, and then in the second half they were able to kind of roll there. But it was ended up being a win, the kind of win that Iowa State should be having against an FCS team. And, you know, Northern Iowa was good, and they did good things, but – Iowa State, if they want to kind of try to turn a corner and, like we've talked about in the preseason, get back to a bowl game, um, that's what needed to happen. They needed to come out and kind of assert their dominance, and they did eventually in the second half. They kind of ended up rolling there. Before Iowa State's fifth offensive drive of the game, they were um, outgained, I think, 207 yards to 63 yards, and that was kind of twofold. One, uh, they didn't convert their first four third downs. Um, their first four drives went four plays for 18 yards, four plays for 17 yards, three plays for eight yards, and four plays for 20 yards. Um, that gets you those plays for 63 yards, like I mentioned. And the big thing was in, in that discrepancy between Northern Iowa and Iowa State, really through the first 25 minutes of the game, I think, I guess maybe 30 minutes of the game, um, or with five minutes left in the first half, uh, the discrepancy was partly that, but par- partly they had two pick sixes that kept putting Northern Iowa on the field. Northern Iowa dominated the time of possession in the first half because of that. Iowa State dominated it in the second half. But after those four first drives that kind of all stagnated, uh, they really got going on that fifth drive, uh, a 75-play drive that really the key to that drive was you know, getting that, th- that third down conversion, I think, across the middle to Hakeem Butler for eight yards. But David Montgomery just looked really good for three consecutive plays. They gave him the ball in the rest for 29 yards and a touchdown. And then I think from there, the second half, they scored three touchdowns to start the second half. So that's kind of what Alan Lazard pointed to. Matt Campbell referenced it to that. Uh, yeah, Jacob Park completed some passes to get that drive going. But Montgomery kind of sparked the offense is what Marchie Murdoch and uh, a lot of his teammates thought. Yeah, the other part of that uh, that discrepancy or, or whatever you want to call it was Iowa State being 0 for 4 on third downs. That really kind of – it puts you in that hole even though you have a 14 to 10 lead and you have this wide margin uh, in, in total yards. Uh, the 0 for 4 on third downs really kind of hurt them early. But it was that drive that Jacob Park started a little bit through the air, but David Montgomery really kind of capitalized or put an exclamation point on. 
And just to watch him run, I thought he was obviously really impressive. And we'll talk about some guys here coming up that kind of stood out to us maybe. But I thought he was really, really good. And, uh, you know, Matt Campbell's reference at different points in the offseason that David Montgomery is as all-around back as you could hope to have. And he's probably one of the most talented running backs that Matt Campbell's had the, the chance to coach. And you're talking about guys – uh, in that company with David Fluellen, who's playing with the Tennessee Titans right now, and Kareem Hunt, who's in line to start with the Kansas City Chiefs. Um, you know, he's he's not necessarily directly comparing David Montgomery to those guys, but he has that potential and that skill set, and you really saw it um, on that drive for sure. Uh, he was able to kind of hit creases really well and bounce to the outside, and he was able to kind of shake some guys a little bit and, and dance around some of the linebackers. And then you even saw saw him lower his shoulder and, and, and kind of try to truck some guys like Joel Hanning used to do in the past but I thought he was just really impressive and um, you know is, is a real good real spark I think uh, not only in the backfield because of his ability but Matt Campbell said he's kind of a guy that uh, can get the energy up and, and get guys going uh, and, and bring them along with him so I thought he was really impressive and obviously a big part of kind of turning things around. I know there's people within the program that think he has NFL potential and he's only a sophomore and so it's kind of in the same way that we've heard about Hakeem Butler in the past that there's still years ahead of him to make sure that if he wants to get to that point. But he rushed for, you know, 82 yards, and he didn't really play much towards the end of the game because he came out with uh, cramps. But he really got going. I think he averaged, you know, 5.9 yards per carry. And had he been in that game, he would have he would have rushed for over 100 yards. And um, so he doesn't get that 100-yard mark to start a season. But after they rushed for, I think, six yards in the first quarter um, – you know, he really took off with that 29 yards on those three consecutive plays. And the first one was probably most impressive because he rushed for 10 yards. And right when he got outside the numbers, he had a guy diving at him and two guys missed the tackle. Then he spun off a guy to miss another one. And then he juked a guy to miss one. And then the guy that the sixth guy, uh, I think it took him till the sixth tackler to bring him down. He drug him forward, you know, another couple yards. And so that was the most impressive one. But then the next one was kind of different. And instead of going outside, he ran up the middle and he trucked a, a safety over so um he kind of has different abilities to and i think he showed it early on that same drive of you know he's got some speed to get outside but he's also can run up the middle and hit people and so it's going to be interesting i think the big thing with him is just to keep him healthy and he only had 14 carries so it's not like he was overworked in this game uh mike warren had 12 and a lot of that was um they got in different guys late in the game plus dave montgomery did cramp up so um i they split carries. I think Montgomery will get more carries than he did probably in that game moving forward, but a pretty good balance there. And um, that was kind of what got the offense going. But the two things that stood out to me offensively were uh, Hakeem Butler and uh, Marchie Murdoch. You know, we've heard so much about both of those guys. I think they said that the Mar- this spring was March Madness or Marchie Madness, and they've referenced Hakeem Butler. And I think we keep hearing how he's the guy that maybe stands out the most you know, in some of these practices. Last year, Marchie had two receptions, and he had three in this game. Hakeem had nine receptions last year, and he had seven in this game. And so what they told us all fall camp proved to be true. I think those are two of the guys that Jacob Park seems to trust the most. Yeah, I think the thing, especially with Hakeem Butler, his size is just – it was obviously really hard for, for you and I to cover him with – 
with any um, regularity. But I think he caught all the balls that were thrown his way, except for maybe one, I think, was was deflected or, or dropped or something. Maybe it wasn't a great ball. I can't remember exactly. But uh, him putting Butler over the middle can be a really good weapon for Iowa State because you do have Alan Lazard on the outside. You have Trevor Ryan and Deshante. Um, you know, maybe in the slot a little bit at times just to kind of draw people. Uh, I think Hakeem Butler, not only on the outside, but when you go to the middle, I think can be a really good weapon. And uh, his consistency in that first game especially was was much improved from what it was at times last year, although um, he did have some good plays last year. It was just trying to see it happen more often. And I think he really did uh, kind of get a glimpse of, of what the season could be with Akeem Butler. And then Marchie Murdoch, I thought was, was really impressive. And, and like you said, he was a guy that had been talked a lot about in the off season and the preseason as the guy who had taken a lot of steps forward. Alan Lazard talked about him quite a bit as a guy that, that could make some noise. And I think he's a really uh, another nice, uh, a, a nice option. And that's kind of the thing that we've, we've talked about uh, at length with the Iowa state receiving core is there are so many different ways that, that uh, Jacob Park can go. And uh, Trevor Ryan had a really nice game. He had six catches for 55 yards, no score, but uh, he did some really good things and, and is shifty and speedy and, um, I just thought that group, uh, once they got going a little bit, and even even early in the game, I thought uh, they had a couple nice catches, but they couldn't really sustain anything. Um, but but the talent is there, and it's just kind of a thing where uh, it can really kind of bring the offense to life a little bit, especially if the ground game's going with Montgomery. Alan Lazard had eight catches for 108 yards. Um, he broke Iowa State's career uh, receptions record. Now is 178, passing Todd Blythe, who had – 176 he's now also that's another 100 yard game for him i think he had 400 yard games in four of the last five games last year mm-hmm. and that was when park was the main quarterback so now you can say when park's been the primary quarterback he's had 100 yard games in five of those six games um he, you would mention the targets he was targeted 11 times caught eight he had two drops one in the end zone and one that he just kind of seemed to misjudge so he was targeted 11 t- times Hakeem Butler was targeted eight times and had the seven catches, and Trevor Ryan was targeted eight times and had the six catches. So those are three guys he targeted. Ryan, I think you mentioned kind of the bubble screen type stuff, which I think we'll see a mix of him and and Deshante Jones going forward. But like I said, it seems like they can mix the ball around, and I think we'll see different receivers uh, in different games. But it really does seem like Lazard, Butler, Ryan, and Murdoch are kind of the guys that Park trusts the most. And then I think Deshante would be in that mix um, he did have a catch for nine yards, and then he's wide open on the three-yard scramble that Park had on that touchdown drive. Um, I just don't know if Park was able to make the throw on the run or maybe see him, but from our vantage point, it looked like he was wide. So he, he'll get opportunities. I think this was just a game where some games there's going to be a couple receivers that don't, and then the next game maybe they have a big game. But what what surprised you the most? Because I think – that was one thing that surprised me the most in this game was just not seeing Deshante Jones as much, but I don't think it was game plan as much as just situational. He was out on the field, maybe not as much as Trevor Ryan, but he was out on the field. I think that and, and maybe Sam Seen Buckner having the first tight end catch, and we saw uh, Chase Allen come in, I think, on the touchdown run, and it kind of almost like a decoy. He was out out on the right side, and they had to pay attention to him, and I think Montgomery run, ran to the left, so... Those are the two things that maybe stood out to me offensively that surprised me were Deshante Jones, but I think situational and tight ends, and maybe that situational too were these first couple games that are different types of defense or different types of games. 
maybe they don't use the tight ends the same way that they'll use them against Texas and moving from there. Yeah, I think the tight ends thing is probably the biggest thing that you could take away. Deshante, um, you know, is a little bit uncertain maybe what – what uh, they're going to ask of him this year and maybe it's it's you know also way too early to say with just one game i think there will be opportunities and like you said with different matchups um maybe they go smaller and go uh, more with that end position as, as guys that can do damage so i think there's still plenty ahead for him but yeah the sam seen buckner thing i don't know what the the odds were on on him getting the first catch for tight end, the tight ends group just because he talked about guys like chase allen or dylan sane or sam harms um, you know, so it's it's it was it was surprising to see that maybe a little bit, but they did really use that F position quite a bit, especially against a team like Northern Iowa, where they're a little bit bigger and they try to have block a little bit more and try to get the running game going. I think um, you know, and, and they've they've been high on him too. They they always kind of you know lump him back in and say, don't forget about uh, you know Sam Seenbuckner. I think he can add a lot to the offense in terms of that blocking scheme and help get the running game going, but. Um, that, those are probably what I saw on offense. And then looking at defense, obviously it was Joel Lanning's first game at middle linebacker. And he had seven tackles. Uh, he also got in for um, one recorded play on offense. And then uh, a touchdown run he had for a couple yards out was, was called back from holding, I believe. But uh, So he played both ways. And this the first two-way player since 2002 when Joe Woodley did it for Iowa State. But um, his seven tackles stood out. Um, I think it's a thing where he's going to get a little bit more comfortable. But you did see one glimpse, uh, really, what, what he can do. Um, Eli Dunn, the quarterback for Northern Iowa, rolled out to his right in the end zone and, and Joel kind of bounced outside too and, and got a quarterback hurry and that's what led to Willie Harvey's interception for a touchdown the first one for for Iowa State there and um, I just think his size can be imposing and he can do those sorts of things I think uh, he's only going to get better as time goes on but that was one of the things that stood out to me on the defense at least was was Joel's debut. So we kind of wrapped up the offense and that's probably a good segue into the defense um you know, they they gave up a lot of yards, I think, early. Uh, obviously, they gave up, a, I think it was an eight-play, 75-yard drive to start the game, and that's what we talked about at the beginning was fans were probably like, here things go again. But it kind of improved from there. The thing that maybe stood out to me defensively, you know, obviously I think Willie Harvey probably played the best game. Um, you know, he got, it, got in on some pressure. Obviously, he had a pick six that was helped by Joel Lanning, uh hurrying done on that play um but I thought Marcel Spears his name popped up a lot and he seemed to be you know we didn't know I didn't know what to expect from him going into this game we'd heard that obviously he had stood out in the spring and moved his way up to starting at that linebacker spot but he seemed really he looked athletic getting from sideline to sideline and making some plays he was in on involved on a lot of different um plays just you know I think with his athleticism, I think it's kind of like Joel Landon where he's still trying to learn too probably. And Matt Campbell overall, I think, said he was pretty pleased with the front seven. Um, but I think there's obviously areas for Landon and Spears to probably continue to clean things up. Ray Leem, I think, really stood out. We didn't tackle-wise, you know, he's not huge on that stat sheet. But I think he ate up some linemen and, and kind of helped them at times in the interior uh, by doing that. So I think once he kind of gets going, once we start seeing Matt Leo or, you know, Camilo Tangamoa more, that defensive front could be even better. But they, they did some good things, I think. And, 
you know, that's kind of what stood out the most. I mean, three three interceptions for Iowa State, that's been a big thing that they focus on is turnovers. And um, obviously having two of them be pick sixes is the reason that the offense was able to take their time getting into things. Yeah, it really, it, it helped kind of um, keep them a little bit more calm. And Matt Campbell said that too, that what he saw from the guys is they really didn't panic at all when things were, were kind of going wrong because – like you said, you you and I drove the ball down uh, relatively easy on that first possession, and then there were other times where Iowa State would try to bring some pressure a little bit, and some of the you and I receivers would slip behind the DBs for big gains. So there's things like that that have to be cleaned up. I think Matt Campbell said the guys got a little antsy at times. So there there's just things that you can tighten the screws a little bit and and fine tune some of those things. But it just kind of gives you a base on where you are and kind of where you need to go. But I thought you're you're on with the defensive line with Ray Lima. I thought he was able to eat up some yards. I thought any Iwazurike was was able to kind of do the same. He's another you know, young kid, but a big body. Um, he was taking on um, a double team at one time. So they have some big guys in there, and that can kind of free the way for a Marcel Spears or Joel Lanning or whoever to kind of come in and create some more pressure and get into those blitz packages that they wanted to. But um, I thought Brian Peavy also stood out. I thought he had a really good game, uh, 10 tackles, which you don't always want your uh, DBs or cornerbacks to be your leading tacklers. But I thought he played really well, had a tackle for loss, had an interception, which Matt Campbell said might have been the most impressive of the three just because he had to make a clean break. It was right along the sideline, and he really had to kind of take it away from the receiver. But I thought there were different areas, like we've said, all throughout the defense that kind of stood out. And, um, you know, there's plenty to improve upon, but there's also a good base and, and a much better base probably than, than what we saw in the season opener last year. So I think that's the most encouraging thing is they're getting better, and um, that's what you can expect hopefully in the weeks ahead. Yeah, the defense was much better in the second half. I think you and I only ran 19 plays in the second half, and so uh, something around there. So it, it was kind of a tale of two halves in terms of time of possession and stuff. The defense wasn't on the field as much then. You know, the special teams did, I think, help the defense a little bit. They pinned Northern Iowa inside the 20 early a couple times, and um, that kind of helped in terms of the field position. But the defense, I think, obviously there's still questions. You know, it's kind of – I think John Haycock has said this before that – defense is becoming less about yard, total yardage and more about points you know that it's just you can't go simply off. I mean you and I only ended up with 378 yards which in this day and age when you compare some of the totals we've seen in recent years um, isn't terrible for the fact that it took them some time um, before they started limiting those yards but um, you know going back to what Haycock said you know they kind of did what he has talked about, that you give up some of those yards, but then you find a way to clamp down. And for them, it was getting a couple interceptions and um, things like that. So the third downs, you and I went 3 of 11 on third down. Uh, they did well on that early, and then Iowa State limited it late, and it was kind of flipped for the, the offense. The offense started 0 of 4, and then I think went 7 of 11 after that. So um, third downs was kind of what Matt Campbell started his news conference with afterwards, as that was one of the big keys to the game. So yeah, I guess – the you know maybe touch up on some final things and then move on to what we kind of expect with Iowa. Um, you know the final things would be, I guess some guys that didn't play. Uh, Ogi Udigu didn't play uh, at right guard. He was not even dressed. He was in a big brace. Um, and Matt Campbell said after the game that he had some cleanup surgery in his elbow. He's out in indefinite period of time, but Matt Campbell said he expects him back. And I don't know if he's saying you know if they go to a bowl game or if he's saying. It could be November. Or it, we don't know a timeline, but Josh Kniffel started at right guard. 
um, in his absence. It sounded like Kniffle was already pushing to start, but really it hurts your depth there. Arnold Azuna wasn't dressed. Obviously, he's been, you know, number two guy at cornerback. And then uh, Jamal Johnson, I didn't notice him not dressed, but he was not on the participation report. And obviously, he's their backup defensive tackle. So those are the three real names that stood out that didn't play. Johnny Lang burned his red shirt. Um, three carries, I think, for seven yards, but was not the kick returner. So we'll see how his role – once he burned his retro, I assume he's going to have some kind of role. Um, but that was the only retro I think they burned. Yeah, I think uh, Mike Warren returned the kickoffs last night. Maybe that's a role Johnny Lang gets at some point. I, you know, it's hard to say. But you, you would hope that he would have some sort of defined role and, uh, you know, not just burn it for a couple carries. But, again, this is one game they have – 11 more guaranteed, so, it, you know, we'll see what happens from there. Camilo Tangamoa got in for a couple snaps, and um, that's kind of – it was late in the game by the time he got in, but that's just a thing where Matt Campbell said, again, they're going to take kind of take it slow and just kind of ease him into things a little bit. But, you know, the, the Oge thing could potentially – be big depending on how long he's out just because it, it does hurt depth but I think the starting five um, you know the, there's some things to clean up there too obviously but they all looked good and the thing that you pointed out off Mike was uh, all there four of the five offensive linemen that started the game are from the state of Iowa so I think that's that's really kind of interesting and they're all big bodies too so that's kind of the the direction they're they're trending a little bit with that but um, you know really it's uh, they want to preserve as much depth as they can, obviously. So I guess we'll kind of, you know, see what happens there. But it's it's certainly, um, you know, it was kind of interesting to see. And maybe some of it's dictated by matchups. Maybe with Jamal Johnson, I mean, who who really knows? But um, yeah, that's that. Those are kind of the names probably that would stand out to me too in that area. We won't find out. I, I know Azuna's been banged up, and we'll find out hopefully his um, actual status and injury. Iowa week. Jamal Johnson. Campbell didn't talk about it afterwards, so we'll find out that during the Iowa week as well, what was up there. Um, but you know, those were the names. It, I don't think it was a coincidence that we've heard Rob Hudson mention, mentioned, uh, the true freshman lineman that's you know, 330, 340 pounds, been playing. I think he's been mostly practicing with the number twos uh, at guard. And he's been brought up probably partly because of the Udigu injury. And if they really need to get that far in their depth that he could play, um, it's just like Matt Campbell said, circumstantial with him. And I don't think it's a coincidence because we didn't see Azuna that Richard Bowens and Keontae Jones and Dane Trill Young have been the other true freshmen mentioned as cornerbacks. None of them burned the red shirt uh, in the season opener, but we could still see one or multiple of those guys play. I think Bowens, Campbell said he expects to play. So uh, to my knowledge, he was didn't play he, even in that late game situation. But at some point, it seems like he'll burn his red shirt. So... I guess that's probably it for Northern Iowa. Um, you know, there's probably a lot more to talk about, but maybe jump into the Iowa game uh, coming up now. And Iowa State in Iowa, it's always kind of a little bit more interesting when both teams go in undefeated. You know, last year Iowa State was kind of coming off that um, bad loss, I guess you could say, to Northern Iowa to open the season. And things kind of get deflated in that rivalry when I think one of the teams enters with a loss. Um so, Iowa beat Wyoming 24-3 and uh, watched that game. And I think Iowa's defense is probably the best part of their um, team. You know, they, I think, held Wyoming to under 60 yards rushing, and that would be kind of a, an interesting thing. I think the rushing battle could be the big th- thing. What can Iowa do to limit, you know, Iowa State's rushing, even though 
the Iowa State's going to try to pass on them. But can Iowa State can handle the Hawkeyes two headed back or so? Because Nathan Stanley only passed 15 times. They only passed 15 times as a whole. So they're going to try to run the ball. I think they ran 40-plus times in the opener, and they're probably going to run between 40 and 50 times against Iowa State and see if they can stop them. So that could be the kind of a key um, at least one of the keys going into that game. Uh, yeah, that's where Iowa's been good traditionally, too, is in the trenches. Obviously, Ference has his history with the offensive line, and then they've always had uh, really stout defensive lines, too. And um, I, Wadley and, and Butler were both really impressive. I think Wadley's uh, a, a great player. He kind of does, um, you know, just to compare, he does some things like Montgomery. He can really bounce outside and hit creases hard and um, is a really good back and obviously a 1,000-yard rusher last year. So it is about how you can contain that that tandem because that's, uh, you know, that's a tall order. Iowa State did did well at times with that. Um, you know, but Iowa's just going to keep running it at you. That's their thing. Um, you know, I don't think they will throw it very much because um, even though Iowa State secondary, they had the you know three picks, but there are also some deficiencies there at times. I think Iowa will just continue to run, obviously. So it's a matter of can you stack up against them and, and stop it at least a little bit, just to kind of maybe force Iowa to throw the ball a little bit. So that's that's going to be a big key, and um, you know one of the areas that Matt Campbell talked about of of having to get better this week, just because um, it's it's a steep climb from what Northern Iowa was to what Iowa's going to present. Iowa only passed it to three receivers. I mean, there's not a whole lot to scout there. You kind of know what it's going to be. Vandenberg hurt Iowa State last year. Um, Noah Fant is, kind of got going later in the year, and I think he'll be maybe the key matchup for Iowa State. I think they've got the corners to mostly contain Vandenberg, even though, like I said, he had a big game last year, and Nick Easley. But how do they guard that tight end with their linebackers? You know, do they – have a linebacker and get safety help and that sort of thing. I think that will be one of the keys in the passing game. But I would say Iowa passes fewer than 20. I mean, they passed 15 times in this game. I'd probably take the under on 20 as of today, just thinking they're going to run the ball a lot and, and see. So I think that's kind of where it starts up front for Iowa State with Ray Lehman and some of those guys. But then how do you guard most of their tight end passing game? Because they're going to get some yards with the receivers, but you know they, they, they only connected on eight passes, eight of 15, you know, about 50%. Uh, a little bit better than 50%, but they're not going to pass it a ton, so they're just going to kind of take their shots passing when um, they're open. So that's defensively, I think, unless Iowa comes out and does something different in terms of they ramp up those passing numbers, I think defensively you kind of know what to expect. It's just can you stop them. Um, offensively is kind of what I'm interested in. Do, does Iowa State try to get its tight ends more involved? Is this the type of game that you use those tight ends and try to do some things or – do they air it out or do they try to get Montgomery going? I think there's a lot of different things you can do to attack um, that. Like I said, I think Iowa's defense is good, but I wish there was a bigger sample size because, you know, they did go against an NFL quarterback, but to me it was an NFL quarterback with very few weapons. And you put him on a good team or a team with receivers that are more capable or running back that's decent, then, you know, he'd have a really good offense. But, you know... I don't know. I just it's hard for me to judge what they had skill position wise. I saw them drop a wide open touchdown and drops happen anyways. I mean, we saw drops happen Saturday, but um, it'd be. I wish we got a better feel of what they went against than some of those receivers that uh, Wyoming had. Yeah, if it was the third game instead of the second game, you could have a better idea. But I think I said to you off mic, I'm more uncertain about this game 
now than I was uh, going into week one. It's just um, I, both teams, obviously, they, they have their strengths. They were able to kind of put away teams that they were better than on paper. So it comes back to what you said. They're kind of coming in with there's a little bit more energy surrounding the game maybe than there was in the past. And it does come down to can you stop Iowa's run and then also can you uh, find a way to, to negate the front seven a little bit of Iowa because, uh, you know, Josie Jewell played really well. He's kind of a, a force in there and, and really disruptive. So what can you do to kind of counter that? Uh, can the offensive line give Jacob Park enough time to, to get some, some of these throws off? I thought they did pretty well against Northern Iowa, keeping, keeping Park upright um, and, and healthy. That's the biggest key too, is just to kind of, uh, you know, keep everything uh, right in that way. But, um, you know, the, the receivers are going to have a load on them. Iowa's secondary um, is, is obviously the, the lesser part of their defense. Uh, Manny Ragumba will be back, though. Can you kind of take advantage of some of your matchups on the outside? Um, you know, th th that's the big key for Iowa State on offense, uh, alone from kind of countering the front seven. Yeah, I think if, if Montgomery has a big game, I think Iowa State would be in good shape because I think that's going to be the most difficult part is running against Iowa. And that's why I think it'll be interesting, and I think they'll have to take some shots against Iowa downfield more so than they did in the season opener with Alan Lazard and Hakeem Butler maybe. Um, you know, it'll be interesting to see how they attack that secondary and kind of try to attack downfield. But if Montgomery gets going, if that offensive line gets some push um, – I think it helps. I I think it, in my mind, I would feel a lot more comfortable picking Iowa State in this game, if if I knew what they're going to do run wise, because that's where I think it's going to be difficult mostly is in that run game with you know Josie Jewell and some of their guys up front. But uh, I do think there are obviously weaknesses on both teams, and there's an ability for Iowa State to maybe take some shots downfield offensively. Uh, it's kind of two opposites in some ways you know, kind of what they want to both do. Um, and, you know, Iowa matches up well apart in some places, and uh, I think Iowa State has some advantages. So I think it'll be a close game. I haven't seen the line yet, but uh, I imagine it'll just be a couple points or, you know, less than a touchdown. Yeah, it's hard to imagine another game like last year, a 42-3 game. Uh, I think – I think there are enough questions on both teams, although, like you said, they do have both of them have their strengths, but they're kind of they're almost butting heads in a way. It's it'll, it's kind of like a, a tug of war a little bit. It, it will be interesting to see kind of um, it, it'll come down to, I think, who can control the line a little bit better. And like you said, if Iowa, if Iowa State can can get Montgomery going and, and get sort of a rhythm on the ground, you got to feel good about their chances. If Iowa State struggles to to contain Iowa's running backs, then it could be a long day. Um, so it it really will be interesting, um, you know. And there's obviously always a lot of buzz in social media um, hoopla surrounding the game, so that always makes it interesting. But I think um, you know, I think the game holds a little bit more meaning than it has the I don't know two of the last three years or so because of of Iowa Iowa State actually doing what it could in this game against Northern Iowa and kind of putting it away obviously there was a stretch in history in this rivalry where Iowa dominated for about a decade and decade and a half was it 15 straight years yeah 15 and then but since Kirk Ferentz has been there, I think Iowa State's 10 and 9 so it's been evenly matched over really the last two decades and we've seen a lot of different games we've seen the one last year where Iowa dominated but we've seen um, 
Iowa State played really well in it too, and we've seen both teams play well at each other's fields. So uh, it's hard. It's always a hard game to predict. Just for I think there's always so many variables, and it's hard to say it's a must-win for Iowa State because I think by beating Northern Iowa at least, you know, it's not like they're facing 0-2 like they uh, were last year. But they've got to win one of the next two for sure. I think um, to keep those bull expectations and, and keep fans energized. Um, that being that other game, obviously being Akron, uh, because if you get through that, you know, you look at this the beginning of the Big 12 schedule. You got Texas, then Oklahoma, then Kansas, and that kind of gets you through the midway point of the schedule. And uh, we won't go into all that here, but there are questions in the Big 12 that we saw this week. And you know, Texas does have some questions, and they'll get better under a new head coach. Uh, but you know, they had some deficiencies defensively and struggled at times, I think, to protect their quarterback. And then Baylor lost to, you know, Liberty and um, it sounded like they really struggled to block. You know, I don't know if they have very many numbers on that offensive line in year one, just like Iowa State last year. And they play a lot of freshmen, so they'll get better by the time Iowa State plays them. But when you look at the schedule, I'm not saying Iowa State's going to win all these games, but it just feels like there are a lot more toss-ups on this schedule than – years past you know I feel like Baylor and Texas Tech and um, even Texas to some extent being on that Thursday and Kansas there's a lot of games right there that Iowa State should be in those games um, will they get to six wins will they go to a bowl it's obviously way too early to probably predict that but they've got to kind of finish out this non-conference strong after the start now because they do have some chances in that Big 12 play to at least put themselves in a spot to be competitive late in the season. Yeah, there's just there's opportunities. Uh, I think Iowa State being in the second year of its program, all the kind of the freshness is gone a little bit in the way of uh, guys being unfamiliar with the coaches and vice versa. Everybody kind of knows what everybody's about, and not to say there's not things to figure out and there's not new guys that you got to kind of plug into the equation, but. I think uh, they're in a much better spot to to be able to go if it's a close game, if it's a toss up at the end, try to go make the plays to to go win the game. I think they're in a, in a better spot to do that. So, um, and with the Northern Iowa win in the way they did it, I thought it was kind of a nice balance of there were positive reinforcements of things went well. They were able to get the running game going. There were some defensive touchdowns, things like that. But there was also the healthy mix of of you know coverages got blown at times they um, you know there were some penalties there in the second half that can be cleaned up some personal fouls I think um, you know that that kind of keeps you grounded too a little bit and and knowing um, you kind of have to keep plugging away if you want to get better and Iowa on the schedule next is is a good way to kind of uh, refocus you a little bit not that they um, their minds were wandering after beating a team like Northern Iowa but it just it's all helpful I think in the in the growing process for that team. Well, that's all we've got for you on this edition. I think the next week will be really interesting. We'll see how that depth chart changes because, you know, there'll be some tweaks based on maybe week one performances now that they've seen guys in live action. And maybe we'll see more guys out on the field against um, Iowa. Matt Leo, maybe more snaps. Jamal Johnson, what's up with Arnold Azuna? So a lot of storylines going into Cyhawk week. But that's all we've got for you on this edition. And uh, we'll catch up with you uh, after the Iowa game.